Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze the music, legacy, and cultural impact of all your favorite pop stars. I'm your host, DJ Louis XIV, and I'm a DJ, writer, and all-around pop music fanatic. I've spent my entire life and career thinking about, dissecting, and being obsessed with pop stars. Their music, their legacies, how they relate to one another, to the larger pop musical landscape, and to culture more broadly. What separates an icon from a mere superstar? Why do some careers become the soundtrack to our lives, and why do others flop? Whose work and legacy transcends time, and whose feels stuck in it? Every episode of Pop Pantheon, we'll devote an entire episode to a pop icon. From titans of the genre like Beyonce and all the way down to uh, lesser titans like Nicole Scherzinger. Each episode, you'll hear a little breakdown from me and then some distinguished guests and I will chop it up about their careers, discographies, public personas, live performances, music videos, feuds, tweets, you name it. And at the end, we'll turn pop into fantasy football, make our final judgment and place them in the official pop pantheon. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Pop Pantheon. This is your host, DJ Louie. As always, couldn't be more thrilled that you're here listening to the podcast today. This is uh, actually going to be our last episode of 2021. We will be back top of the year, first week of January, with new episodes, and we'll be back on our every other week schedule starting then. And on the occasion of our final episode of the year, I just wanted to like share a quick earnest reflection, which is, you know, I've been doing this for about nine months now. I'm absolutely gagged, floored with like how incredible this has gone. It's been so incredible to get to make this show. It's been so incredible to get to share it with all of you. I'm so like beyond my expectations in terms of like how many of you listen to this podcast and listen to me babble every single week about pop stars and to have this community because I'm such a humongous obsessive fan of all of this and this has really helped me find a group of people that also are equally insane about pop music and pop stars and I couldn't be more pleased with how this has gone more excited for like what's to come next year I have so many huge plans for the podcast I already have a ton of amazing episodes in the bag to kick off the new year and yeah I'm just I'm feeling a lot of gratitude and I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you so much for being part of this journey and can't wait for what else is to come here. Oh, and also like to the guests, I got to give a quick shout out to all the guests this year. So many amazing people have agreed to come on and talk to me, many of whom like I had never met before and never spoken to before. The graciousness of so many people who have come on. I mean, this podcast is only as good, obviously, as like who comes on and chats with me. Every single episode, I'm just like, wow, the smartest people in music criticism are here sharing their wisdom and insights with me. And I'm just touched by the generosity of so many people who have come on and been part of this podcast and made it what it is. So thank you to all the guests too. And not for nothing, but it was amazing to end the uh, year. The last two weeks were by far the biggest ever for the podcast. So I'm just so honored and thrilled to like leave the year on that note and welcome also if you're a new listener and yeah, I'm just, I couldn't be more uh, psyched for like my plans for this moving forward. So that's my earnest reflection before uh, we say goodbye until 2022. Also, I want to put a pin in the fact that we do a discord every, every uh, other week after the episode airs. 
this week is going to be a particularly important one that I hope people who haven't come before feel like they want to show up for because as you'll see at the end of this episode, there's a pretty big cliffhanger that I feel like I need everybody's input on. So tonight, Thursday, December 16th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. The link will be in my bios on social media, and I will also put it in the show notes for this episode as well as on all my stories. Please come. I I really feel like I need you guys to come weigh in on something, and I'm not going to spoil it now, but even if you haven't been before, it's a super welcoming, a gracious, hilarious, smart group of people, and I think you'll have fun. I certainly look forward to it every single time. As always, please follow the podcast on social at Pop Pantheon Pod, Twitter and Instagram. Follow me, DJ L-O-U-I-E-X-I-V on Instagram and Twitter. Please send any questions you have, comments you have, things you want me to talk about on a future mini-sode to poppantheonpod at gmail.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, etc., etc. So before we get into part two of this episode, I highly recommend it uh, if you haven't, you kind of got to go listen to part one in order for this to all come together. So part one is the episode just prior to this in the feed. That will include the artist bio that's at the beginning of every episode, while this will not. And, you know, this uh, episode is going to pick up where that episode left off. It is a serialized double whammy. Go back and listen to that. But for a quick summary, last week, Julianne and I covered the first half of Rihanna's career. We covered kind of the state of pop in the early to mid-2000s and specifically the sort of crossover of Caribbean sounds into mainstream pop. We talked about Rihanna's emergence. We talked about her debut album, Music of the Sun, and first hit, Pwned the Replay. We talked about her second record, A Girl Like Me, and a lot of the expanding sort of genre fluidity that she sort of became her trademark. We talked about her explosion into a supernova kind of during the Good Girl Gone Bad era. We talked about uh, how her uh, incident uh, with Chris Brown on the night of the Grammys sort of rewarped her image and career. And we talked about her album that most directly responded to that incident, which was 2009's Rated R. So that was where we left off. This episode is going to pick up with 2010's Loud and go through the present day and concludes with us actually ranking all the Rihanna albums and with our little cliffhanger I uh, teased earlier. So without further ado, Julianne Escobedo Shepard is back for part two of Pop Pantheon Rihanna. Here we go. All right, so I think I, I kind of feel like Rated R goes down potentially as like one of those classic sort of like fan favorite albums. It's not necessarily like her biggest commercial performer as an artist. It's kind of defined by commercial success in many ways. Like yeah. I think, you know, it, that's that's a, the, kind of the, her cult classic in a sense. She then moves into a period of utter relentlessness in terms of both just like releasing music and releasing music that like every single song is a fucking gigantic generation defining smash hit. So there's a doubling back that goes on. I have a sense following that, that as much as she needed to express what happened on Rated R, she definitely wanted to go back to being the queen of the charts. She just and, wanted to have fun and yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you that to me is evident because as I mentioned this album is devoid of frothy dance pop. She then returns a year later with a single called Only Girl in the World, which essentially takes what she did on Don't Stop the Music and blows it out to about 3,000 decibels. Yeah. 
so talk to me about Only Girl in the World and how how, do, how is that a reaction to what's going on on Rated R? And how, w- just talk to me about it. Tell me what you think about Only Girl in the World. I mean, like, okay, so Rated R is her, like, dark moment. She's in a room. Yeah. She's, like, mm-hmm. got the lights off and she's, like, smoking cloves or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> only... Not only... smoking cloves. Yeah, she's... <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm drawing no. from my own experiences here. <laughs> I was going to say, is that a projection? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I was going to say licking a gun, but sure, smoking cloves, too. Well, the th- image that came to mind was that Prodigy video where he's, like, literally, like, alone. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So only girl in the world is like, she's like, fuck you. I am going to have the most fun that I've ever had in my fucking life. Like it's, it Mm -hmm. is like kind of, you were saying like the, the narrative of her rising above this horrible experience that the entire world knows about also, which is like fucked up. And this is the song where she's like rising above, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like she's like like Lady Gaga who, no offense. Yeah. Like she's like about to <laughs> reclaim run. the dance pop throne. She like, wants the dance created. pop charts. And oh she's going after it with like a fucking vengeance. And Oh, the vocal on that chorus. That was the moment where I was like, this bitch can sing, sing, yes, sing. Yes, yes. I mean, come on. The way she opens her throat on that chorus. Want you to make me feel like I'm the only girl in the world. Ah, and then she also returns with this jet red hairdo like this that really signifies i mean of all of the sort of darker tones that are the black and white cover of rated r these sort of like plotting darker music she comes back and in the video for only girl in the world she's essentially like dancing through like a technicolor field of like daisies in this red hair singing this absolutely perfect one of the greatest pop singles of the 21st century i yeah. think bar none yeah for i sure. mean that is the song of like resi- like just full on resilience, full on just like reclaiming like okay, I have dealt with whatever this darkness is and I'm now here to just like move on, move the fuck on with my life and like go back as you said to like having fun. And man, is that song fun. It is like I think it might be one of the happiest songs that has mm-hmm. ever been made. <laughs> yeah, um, and also also a song about moving on to a new relationship. I mean, she mm-hmm. in, in terms of thematic, the the song is about hey, I want you to make me yours. You know, I yeah. want you to you know, which is not something she's singing about on Rated R at all. But also, you know, it was genre defining. I think because that was like this super shift right at this time. This is when EDM is starting to emerge as like a market force, yes. I guess. And like, 2010. A, yeah. And a fake genre name. I fucking still hate it. I'm like, <laughs> it's been 12 it's years. Useful, and I it's still, unfortunately but it's useful. useful. Yeah. 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 But, um, so she's like, yeah, EDM needs a diva and I'm going to be it. And then she proceeds mm. to be it. Like, and that is like, she kind of did leave Lady Gaga in the dust in that sense, because like, I don't know. I've been to a lot of corporate raves. I love a corporate <laughs> rave. I will go to fucking any like local chapter of ED 
DC that there is. Have I ever heard Lady Gaga there? I don't think so. But Lady Gaga is is not cool. I mean, this is the thing. Rihanna is full coolness. Like, Rihanna is, and especially at this point in her pop stardom, she is the pop star that it is okay for anybody to like. And I think that that's a really important point to make. People don't feel comfortable in many instances liking pop music or openly being okay with that. And artists like Lady Gaga and Katy Perry are artists that I think people feel a lot of internal tension about liking. Rihanna, and part of why I think she's so successful and so singular as a pop entity is nobody feels uncomfortable standing her. Like she's because because of the sort of forwardness of the cool factor, like and the taste level and like the songs always do a great job of being pop and never seeming stupid. Um, Yeah. Or at least never seeming like stupid in a way that's like not cool. Um, Like, Men are comfortable liking Rihanna. Women are comfortable liking Rihanna. I think indie people that would think of themselves as more indie are comfortable being like, yeah, I like Reboy. I like these Rihanna songs. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. she's a, she is a cool ass bitch. Like, that is Rihanna's thing. And yeah. I think that's in full bloom on these loud songs. You know, there's like, it's like they're both the most sort of like catchy poppy songs that like are total no brainers. And yet they still retain utter cool factor. You know yeah. what I mean? Which is extremely hard to do. And I think it goes so back hard. to the like pop diva or that the like club diva notion right. where like, you know, you brought up Robin S. Like, I right. think it's that sort of aura that makes songs like Show Me Love like so timeless. And mm-hmm. I think she has it. And I think, you know, in comparison to like Lady Gaga or Katy Perry or whatever, like, you don't ever feel like there's a theatric about it. Mm, it's like pure no, emotion. Right. And mm. like Rihanna was never a drama kid. You know what I mean? No. Um, <laughs> no, she was the kid like smoking cigarettes in back of the school. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think just the the way that she's able to capture the feeling in all of these songs is really unique and what is like actually makes a club diva like even like a fucking Gloria Gaynor Yeah, I totally, I'm, I completely agree with you. It's just like oozing out of her. It's not something that has to be tried hard at. So, Only Girl in the World, number one single. Second single, What's My Name, featuring Drake. What, the first great Rihanna-Drake collaboration, of which mm-hmm. there will be many that follow. Hey boy, I really want to see if you can go downtown with a girl like me. Hey boy, I really want to be with you. Was it just my type? Oh, na, 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 na. I need a boy to take it over. Looking for a guy. First of all, Rude Boy, Only Girl in the World, What's My Name, S&M, all Stargate songs. A very important theme that we've been teasing apart here. The Stargate Rihanna magic is ongoing, works across numerous genres. An under-celebrated artist-producer collaboration in, in the great lineage of them. And then the third single is S&M, yet another sort of just like utterly sort of free-for-all, joyous EDM banger. I 
I think this is the album where she is 100% fully steps into the Rihanna thing. Like, this is to me where, like, Loud and all of these songs are the moment where she is in absolute full command of whatever her je ne sais quoi is, whatever her taste is, whatever all of it is. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with it. I think that, like, she was inching towards it with Rated R because she was like, okay, I'm, I want to do something different. I am... Of you know, I'm a complex person, but I think she needed to go through that to really figure out who she is as a pop star and mm. like what she, you know, not just what works best, but also like how I don't know. It's like it's almost like you know, you're tra- how old was she when she released this album? Like she 25 must have been was... 20, 21, 20, 21, I don't know. Jesus yeah. fucking Christ! Yeah, I don't but, know. But like, she's becoming, she's becoming her own woman, and like, right. she's like figuring out who she is. She's getting a little bit older, and like, it just fit after all of this, these experiences and this sort of dark mm-hmm. music. She just figured it out. Yeah, it was like a crowning moment. And you know, certain things that I that I just really noticed about it listening recently is. This is a really the first time we got truly gregarious Rihanna, fun yeah. Rihanna, warm Rihanna. Like, even on Good Girl Gone Bad, which has so many fun songs, there's still kind of like an icy seriousness to a lot of the way that she presents herself. Like, a song like What's My Name is pure flirtation, pure yeah. fun, pure summer feeling. A song like Cheers is like where you get party Rihanna. You get Rihanna as your homegirl that you just hang out with at the party. This is the introduction of that Rihanna, which is another huge facet in what her appeal is, I think, is that you really feel like, wouldn't it be so fucking fun to hang out with Rihanna? Yeah. That is, (laughs) you know, I feel like that's a huge aspect that really emerges on this project. You know, we still get kind of the darkness and the edge on songs like Man Down, on songs like Skin. You know, we still get that. But then we also kind of get a lot of texture and contour to her personality. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. And also, I think that they like there's a new narrative emerging, which is the um, meta narrative of like, is she dating Drake? Which would plague her the rest a of classic. her life. <laughs> a classic, yeah. a classic of modern pop culture. Yes, <laughs> culminating in the cringiest award show uh, interact stage interaction in the history of award. Like that makes Kanye and Taylor look like a walk in the park. <laughs> What's most impressive isn't the endless list of stats, awards, and accomplishments. What's most impressive is the person. Some artists need to play a character to achieve success. Some need to downplay their own natural instincts to blend in. She succeeds by doing something that no one in this music industry does, which is being herself. She's someone I've been in love with since I was 22 years old. She's one of my, she's one of my best friends in the world. Have you ever seen a man so thirsty? Oh my God. It was devastating. That was devastating. And she just iced him the fuck out. Like it was just, 
iced him. Like, it was just, it was pathetic. Like, truly, <laughs> truly pathetic. <laughs> but they do have incredible chemistry on on in, on record together. You know, and the other thing is that I, I Man Down, which is like a, a minor hit single from this, to me is kind of almost like the pinnacle of her of her Caribbean sort of lineage songs. Like, that's a real, like, the patois in full effect. Yeah. It's, you know, it kind of is one of the only songs on the record that really carries force the themes of Rated R. It has sort of a revenge, dark, a darker revenge theme to it. Cause I didn't mean to hurt him. Could have been somebody's son. And I took his heart when I pulled out that gun. Rum, pa, pa, bum, rum, pa, pa, bum, rum, pa, pa, bum. I just love that song. I, I'd be remiss if we didn't take a moment on that. Yeah, me too. And also, I think it really reflects her love of Bob Marley. I think mm. it is a very, like, Marley-esque sort of dark reggae number. I shot the sheriff. I almost am overwhelmed. Like, usually when I'm doing these, I'm like, all right. And then, you know, her career fell off a cliff and we went through a fallow period where yeah. she, you know, da 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 No, Julianne, that's not what happened. I don't know if you'll be surprised to hear this. Um, Rihanna, again, after Loud has three number one hits and a series of other hits, Basically, every song on the album is a smash. Rihanna returns another year later in 2011 with the biggest hit of her career. Yes. Still, like we, we've how many fucking hits have we talked about at this point? It's, it's frankly exhausting on some level. Like I'm like, how does she do this? She puts out a song called "We Found Love," which I actually think maybe it's not a better song than "Only Girl in the World," but is definitely the crown jewel of the EDM pop movement. It just yeah, is for that, sure. Like if if you had to pick a song that is the defining song of EDM's influence on pop music. I think it's uh it's we found love. We found love in a hopeless place. We found love in a hopeless place. We found love in a Any any insight into what makes We Found Love extra special? I mean, every Rihanna song's a hit. Why is that song the biggest one? I mean, I don't even know what to ask anymore. It's like hands in the air. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I mean <laughs> I think part of it is that it's kind of a fairy tale like narratively and then there's just something about Calvin Harris as like weird as I feel about like you know as a fan of dance music and then like how it sort of became like weirdly corporatized in the EDM years Calvin Harris does not miss and I think Mm -hmm. there's an alchemy there where it's like maybe it's his Britishness that like makes it feel more like he's doing it for the musicality rather than like the frat (laughs) or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think just the way that the crescendo on that song, Mm. I think Mm -hmm. it defined the genre basically, but the way, Mm -hmm. the way that it builds and the way that he made the beat and the way that she sort of builds up her vocals on it. I just think it's like the audio version of like a heart exploding. Shadow crosses my, 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 my. We found love 
pure catharsis. I mean, yes. and the thing about it that's so fascinating is like, it sort of reminds me of Umbrella in a sense. It's so simple. It is so simple. It's mm -hmm. much less complicated than Only Girl in the World in terms of Sonics. Like, it's very simple. A beat, the lyrics are redundant and repetitive, and the hook is a drop. I mean, she's not even really the singing. The drop, exactly. It's yet again just an utter testament to Rihanna because it's just like in the hands of a less capable, less dynamic, less interesting singer and pop star, maybe this is just kind of a generic song. Let's throw There's away. something about her that like just adds something so powerful to it. And again, I do think it does tie back to the narrative because I think the fact that it is a fairy tale and that she's back in that hopeful place in context of what she went through. I think yeah. resonates with people and I think resonates in the way she sings the song. It is truly gives you that feeling of hope after a storm. It's like, right. it's like the, the opening of the clouds after a storm kind of feeling. And, you know, as a DJ, I get to see so what, like what songs hang on, you know, what hits, it's a lot of songs are hits in the moment and uh, you know, people move on, they forget them, whatever. There's never a moment that you put on, we found love and it's not the, you could, it's the crowning moment of any sort of uptempo pop DJ set. It's just there's this it's just the minute that do as you said, heart explosion. Full yeah. heart explosion. On the Rihanna plane tour, she ended because I obviously became intimately familiar with her sets. So at the end of her set, every single night she played the song and at the drop uh, like a huge burst of like confetti would come out like it was like a mm -hmm. bomb and mm -hmm. like everyone no matter what city we were in just lost their fucking mind and I mean... you know this is I guess it, had, it hadn't been out that long at that time but it was just like she knows she knows it <laughs> yeah basically she knows, she she knows, knows it. it and and it's I think it's one of those songs that's to me anyway is tied to memory like it's just I just remember on a personal note, like that was like the beginning of my DJ career and I was doing it a lot. And I just remember the feeling of the communalism between myself and the crowd around that song and our joint excitement of building towards it, knowing it was coming yeah. and the payoff that it delivered. I don't think I've ever had a song that has been on that level in my entire career and just in terms of just like the hugeness the love of it the universality of it just yeah. the excitement the delivery of the catharsis it's just it's just it is that bitch like i don't know like yeah. it's, it's that, <laughs> she is she is that bitch so again record again another year later talk that talk now i want to spend a minute on talk that talk another thing that emerges on loud a little bit is the sort of sexual liberation aspect mm -hmm. of rihanna like she's always been playful with her sexuality but there's a songs like snm and raining men kind of allow her to be like sort of super naughty kind of like really push the limits a little bit of like what's acceptable sexuality in female pop stardom and to yeah. push it into like a truly kind of raunchier direction and i feel like talk that talk as an album it's the first album that i can feel a little bit of the strain of the pace at which she's releasing this music you know hits aside and there's a lot of great songs on it you know there's you to one fantastic sort of dubstepy reggae single There's another big EDM cathartic Calvin Harris collaboration, Where Have You Been? These are all big hits. Oh, 
But then sort of like on the flip side of those songs are these like very explicitly yeah. sort of sexual songs that are almost like pushing the boundaries of like how a mainstream female pop star can right. talk about sex on the radio. So let's talk a little bit about the songs in the middle of this record, like cockiness and birthday cake and how they sort of like present Rihanna's sexuality in a way that felt almost like a little bit scandalous at the time. Yeah. I mean, I think part of her appeal has always been that she does, like you said, sort of approach her sexuality like a man would in pop mm. music. Like heterosis men have been approaching pop music for a zillion years, you right. know? And right. I think we're at this moment too, where in the popular consciousness this sort of feeling of pop feminism is coming mm. into play like mm -hmm. you know i think beyonce did the feminism thing in what 2012 or something like that 13 2013 so this is this is two years before that yeah so i think that a some of the things that like we've always loved in women rappers who are nasty mm. doing this sort of like you know Lick my neck, my back, my pussy, and my crack. Do it, do it now. Lick it good. Suck this pussy just like you should. Right now, lick it good. Suck this pussy just like you should. My neck, my back. Lick my pussy and my crack. My neck. You know, this thing that we've always loved about female rappers who are raunchy, like Trina or Kaya, or, mm -hmm. or I mean, obviously Lil' Kim and Foxy. How could I forget? Yeah, but yes, I was thinking, like, who the, who's the nastiest? I think My Neck, My Back really does go down as that song. My Neck, My Back, My Pussy, and My Crack is, yeah. like, these are, <laughs> these are things that women have wanted to hear, I think, for a long time. It's just, like you know, enjoying sexuality and being as raunchy as the men could. And I think Rihanna's taking a page out of that where she's like, I can do what I want. I own my sexuality. I own my own sort of like desires. And why wouldn't I talk about that? Just because mm. I'm a pop star? Like, why wouldn't I sing cockiness? Because I love to fuck, <laughs> you know? <laughs> one thing like when you think of Rihanna as a pop star especially around this time people are thinking of her of her as this pop star still you know she still has a little bit of the residue of this you know she's just a pop starlet thing even right. after like all of these hits she's yeah. like a pop diva or whatever mm -hmm. but she has always wanted to show herself as you know a deeper a fully developed human and I think right. that's part of her appeal and why people stand over her so passionately is that even in like pre-social media era, era she has not been 
as inaccessible as say a Beyonce even like right. who everyone loves, but like, do you think you could go up to Beyonce at a party? No, Fuck nor no. would you want to. No, <laughs> no, it'd be I terrifying. It'd be no, terrifying. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. <laughs> She's to admire from afar. Yeah, exactly. But you, like you mm-hmm. could go to Rihanna up in the club and give her, you know, a toke, <laughs> you yeah. know, part of the, the cockiness and the, you know, even rude boy like it's always like i'm going to talk uh, and own my sexuality in ways that maybe people don't expect me to but like who cares because this is what i want to sing about who doesn't like sex (laughs) there's an aggressive raunchy funness to it that also sort of Mm -hmm. supersedes even like uh, what janet was doing or what madonna was doing like they were doing some of this stuff but there's something very singular about the way rihanna does it that i think also speaks to the fluency with hip-hop which is something we've talked about a lot like she's doing it as if she was a male rapper a song like birthday cake or a song like cockiness are almost rapped i mean they're they're more or less uh, like rap songs essentially come and put your name on it And it's a twist on gender roles that's very hip-hop oriented in a way that like, you know, some of these early pop stars that played with raunchiness kind of couldn't lay claim to in an authentic way in the way that Rihanna can. You know, I think the other thing about Talk That Talk is the songs feel looser. And as I was sort of saying earlier, I think it's the first record where I can feel the pace at which this is going. Like some of these ideas feel not fully cooked. Like Birthday Cake, great song appears on this album as a one minute song that just sort of weirdly ends in the middle of the second verse. Um, yeah. It's like birthday cake is just a chorus, like a, yes. a floating chorus. It's great. Yes. I love it, but it's a chorus. Yeah. yeah. And like the ballads in the middle of it just feel totally arbitrary to me. Like we all want love. Like yeah. you can just kind of tell that like, this is the first time where I'm like, oh, they need to update Rihanna project, the Rihanna project every year. And like, there's a little pressure on this. Like, it feels a little bit like she's on a schedule and she's got to get something out. And it doesn't feel like a fully formed aesthetic idea as much as like, I hesitate to say it because Talk That Talk is such an enjoyable album with a lot of memorable songs on it. I mean, Watch and Learn iconic yeah. Rihanna B-side. But I think it was, I'm just, I guess I'm just trying to tease out, like, she's on this crazy schedule, and I don't know what you, is your impression that, is that starting to show? Do we get real, which would you say there's an artistic evolution between Loud and Talk That Talk, or does it just feel kind of like another enjoyable Rihanna album? I think she had an explosion of creativity with a lot of great songs, and they were like, okay, let's just, like, do it all. Yeah, I don't think that there was like an actual evolution in her artistry um, because it all feels like of a piece. But I do think like Def Jam signed her to six albums or something like that. Talk That Talk was her sixth. And I wonder like how much of it was like, let's like get this fucking album deal that I signed when I was 15 Mm. cranked out so I can renegotiate and get more money. 
Oh, Just speculating here. That's interesting. I mean, she must have been fucking exhausted. I mean, she was touring nonstop. She's releasing these albums nonstop. I mean, we think of it as this golden era in her career. I wonder how she was feeling. And frankly, you know, her next album, Unapologetic, which we can just spend a beat on, which again comes another year later, obviously has the smash hits Diamonds and Stay. I mean, it's it's almost like, it's almost redundant at this point to just even talk about like how big all of these records are. But I was when I was listening to Unapologetic again, I was getting this vibe of like, there's a looseness to these songs where it's, I can almost feel her exhaustion, and yeah. like, but the exhaustion works for her. So it's this weird sort of combination of like a song, like love song with Future or Pour It Up or whatever, like they sound tossed off, genuinely tossed off. In the way that, like, even when she sounded casual, she was always doing so on these tightly constructed pop songs, like Don't Stop the Music or Umbrella. or So even when you got that casualness, on these songs, there's a real looseness to it, which is interesting on a pop album. But I wonder, like, yeah, as you said, like, I wonder what the impetus was behind moving at this clip. You know yeah. what I mean? And was it starting to show on some of these albums in terms of them being fully realized ideas or do albums need to be fully realized ideas at this point or is she just kind of presaging the fact that albums are sort of a useless thing at this point anyway yeah i think she's presaging that but i also want to make a case for a love song and pour it up because i yeah. i love both of those songs and i think Me what too. they they reflect um what was going on in music at the time which was really really weeded out lethargic fucking rap mm-hmm. <laughs> throw it up throw it up watch it all fall out this is like her weed era the beginning of yes. her like open weed era and right. she was probably just like fucking blasting blunts in the stude <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i agree i mean i think that you know the this album as an album unapologetic is not as tightly constructed as like her mm. previous three albums and i think it does feel a little all over the place comparatively i love this album but it's kind of like what's with the sequencing type shit what's with the sequencing <laughs> and there's a casualness i mean there's some tightly constructed songs diamonds is a very like traditionally constructed pop song stay is a construct you know sort of a traditionally constructed pop song but then there's like these songs that are very very loose in a way that like i think felt uh, unique at that time, but now feels more kind of in the context of how pop music works. Like, and I, I thought to myself, is it the first kind of data dump album? You know how like Drake mm. and all these artists now release these kind of like sprawling, ununified sort of just like pick your own adventure albums that you can just sort of for streaming where it's like it's not about creating a cohesive artistic statement it's more just like pick the songs you like and there's lots of different things to choose from on here and it's unapologetic like sort of the inflection point of data dump 
kind of albums like almost like a kickoff to that era in a weird sense you know what I mean yeah definitely I think it's possible and also you know stay and diamonds are huge diamonds obviously was huge but I wonder how much fun she was having making those songs I those are two of my least favorite Rihanna songs Mm -hmm. honestly Mm -hmm. you know and I can recognize them as good (laughs) that's what I'm talking about like they're sort of like a factoriness and like there's both a looseness to some of the better songs i agree i think pour it up is a much more memorable song because it feels so singular to rihanna's personality at that point in time it's Mm -hmm. like she was just this she was super in her rap mode she was super in her you know that's a rap song that's bands that make her dance as a pop song and you know i do get the feeling like in a song like diamonds it's like yeah that's a smash it's an obvious hit song she sounds like sia on it a little bit like there's a sort of fatigue that sets in i feel like on a certain level that both works for her and also kind of against her on this album yeah sense i can't imagine that she likes singing diamonds as much as she likes singing like <laughs> pour it up or fresh out the runway which i fucking love like <laughs> oh fresh out the runway what a fucking ba- yeah she you know these swagger songs are this is an era i like to say this is the no fucks given era and i mean that for better or worse you know these she is in full swagger mode on songs like fresh off the runway right? And there's some just wild, weird songs on this album too, like Jump as is a dubstep <laughs> song that samples Pony by yeah. Genuine. Wild <laughs> idea. She really wasn't giving a fuck. And that does show on the album. Like, yeah. this is sort of the waning moment of Rihanna's imperial phase because this album is the last of this run. And there's a few topics I want to talk about before we before Rihanna goes on quite a long hiatus and well-earned, let's say. Um, mm. And there's two things I want to talk about. The first is something we haven't returned to, which is that on both Talk That Talk and Unapologetic, Rihanna collaborates with Chris Brown. Now, to me, that moment was equally shocking in some ways to the actual inciting incident. How did you feel about hearing Chris Brown show up on the birthday cake remix and nobody's business and stuff like that? I didn't love it. Um, I <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy for some for a pop star to do something like that is I think it's genuinely the riskiest thing she ever did. I mean, it definitely was, and I, and also we can't forget that they got back together temporarily. Right. Um, so the only thing I really have to say about that is that I don't think it's uncommon for people who have been in abusive situations to return to the abuser. Right. And I also wonder how much of it was like you know we've seen how callous 
the music industry is particularly mm. surrounding these types of issues mm-hmm. i mean you know r kelly being like number one case in point and i wonder how much of it was a sheer financial gambit and i wonder how much of it was like we're going to which is not to say that rihanna obviously on the has part final of the record say. label like yeah. encouraging them to do it yeah like to dr- drum up con- this is all just a theory or whatever but to drum up controversy yeah. but i mean like the fucking music industry is still allowing chris brown to do what the hell he does and you know rihanna wasn't the last person who he allegedly abused and obviously he's had like a lot of like very troubled incidents but i don't know how much Again, I'm very cynical about the music industry and particularly like the financial gambits that they have made in the past, like, you know, 20 years or so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I just wonder what really was like the motivating factor, aside from like the obvious, like if if that if that were me, I would would have wanted it to go another way. Right. And so like given the opportunity to maybe like rewrite a tragic and terrible ending, maybe that's what she was trying to do. I don't know. By going back to Chris Brown. I had the opposite feeling, which was that like, I feel like the powers that be must have been totally bugging balls that she did this. I mean, Mm. I, I don't know. I, I I think it was so scandalous. I mean, I, I remember the public reaction to this was scandalous. I mean, it was, she, her whole again. And like, it's, you know, this speaks to our need for clean narratives, which don't exist in real life and only Mm. exist in a fairy tale. But I, she had come out of that incident to such mega success. And that redemption arc was so paramount to that whole story yeah i can imagine the powers that be were flipping the fuck out that she was doing that and i do think it did serve as a bit of a fuck you to her fans on some level i mean i don't want to again this is her personal life and and nothing is clear cut and i don't want to i don't want to try to put that but i remember feeling like oh my god like we've gone on this whole journey with you and like you're just going to throw this man back into the mix here with no real explanation for why and like it was very it was disconcerting i, yeah. I found it disconcerting and i and and extra complicated because they're great songs i mean the birthday cake remix is fucking awesome and 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 nobody's business is in one of the highlights of unapologetic to me so made all the more complicated by that but that was really a sign i think of you want a pop star that gives no fucks you want a pop star that really does have that vibe like well there's other parts that come along with that it's not just all fun and games there's there's a darker aspect to that as well you know what i mean yeah yeah i agree I don't know if I find it really hard to well first of all I can't listen to those songs like I can't listen to Chris Brown and I couldn't then but also I find it really hard to like really pinpoint what that could mean other than like the only thing I know is that like obviously it's not uncommon to go back to an abusive situation yeah I mean here's the other thing you said you know the music industry allows Chris Brown to keep doing what he does yeah is I mean I think this is a big reason why she gave per- that permission structure. Yeah. Catch this not happened. I, I mean, again, you, we have our Kelly, we have a lot of people to point to the music industry supports lots of horrific people through gross behavior, you know, lawless, like vile behavior. So I'm not saying that they, that Chris Brown wouldn't have found his way back into the music industry's good graces, but there was no question that this helped him 
exponentially and, and gave wipes. a permission helped him exponentially gave a permission structure to fans to fans of pop music to say well if she's forgiving him you know what you know who am i to say you know like i think that that it did that is a complicated thing that she did in that in that moment i thought but also was that the gamma i mean he was releasing he was releasing hit albums like before this yeah that's and i remember i remember you know not like six months after this happened maybe it was longer maybe it was a year or something like his record label was trying to pitch me to put him on the cover of the fader and i was like no i'm not doing (laughs) that i'm sorry i'm not gonna like help this little rehab like image rehab process and also like are you serious (laughs) you know the woman who pitched it to me was like very much like I'm just doing my job and I'm sorry but I have to ask basically yeah right <laughs> and it I think this is a good place to to wrap this aspect of the conversation which is that unapologetic has a song laid on it called love without tragedy and the hook of it is what's love without tragedy and to the point that we've been pulling apart this thread in her music of love as this as this thing that is inherently tied to tragedy and to sadness and to darkness you know it's just a fascinating moment i mean it, it's 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 one of the more let's just say it's one of the more indelible choices she ever made interest yeah. extra musical choices and musical choices she made in her career and it was it's it's loaded let's just put it that way it's yeah very <laughs> yes <laughs> i ask you what's the Rihanna also in this era becomes the first real celebrity to like make Instagram a huge part of her thing. What is Rihanna doing on Instagram and why is she so appealing and great at Instagram? So she was doing kind of the same thing on Twitter also, but she was just like the not giving a fucksness was translated on social media in a new way that like obviously you know now we feel like all of our pop stars are accessible in some way but she was really like shit posting like she was (laughs) (laughs) like she was like troll she was responding to fans like she was like trolling people she was incredible clapbacks in a legendary clapback yeah like the the i will never forget when she felt slighted by Sierra or something like, and Sierra said something like, Rihanna, you don't want to meet me on any stage. And Rihanna said something like, let me know when you book that stage. Yeah. You speak of. <laughs> <laughs> 
like brutal just brutal clapbacks like just yeah and to see her doing that to like other pop stars was just like you know it was back when social media was fun yeah totally (laughs) where like you could it wasn't about like image making or brand making and I think that's why she was so successful at it was because it was sort of outside of this construction that we had been given she was just being her she was doing Mm -hmm. her and it was absolutely thrilling and also just like almost terrifying because it's like (laughs) what's gonna happen next (laughs) yeah well she seemed very flirting with danger at that in that whole period I mean we're talking about the music the looseness the danger the all of that stuff Chris Brown you know she was moving a mile a minute she hadn't stopped working in seven years it did have a feeling a little bit towards the end where it was like is she crashing? Like, is she due for a crash? Is there something, could something yeah. bad happen here? And um, I'm pl- I'm happy to say that as far as we know, that did not happen. And she then proceeded to take four years yeah. in between Unapologetic and her next record, which after the clip we had been on was surprising. And you think we're in an era, everyone thinks, oh yeah, now we're in this era in 2021 of like, where's the Rihanna album? Well, honey, we've been in that era before and it was between yes. 2012 and 2016 and everybody was wondering, where's the Rihanna album? Where's the Rihanna album? Where's the Rihanna album? So she returns in 2016. She start, So the, the rollout, in contrast to the sort of like buttoned up rollouts of all of these sort of yearly records she'd been putting out, the rollout to her eighth album, Auntie, is a fucking disaster from yes. at the beginning she is floating songs there's four or five seconds a strange sort of acoustic guitar duet with kanye and paul mccartney now i'm four five seconds from wilding and we got three more days till friday i'm just trying to make it back There is um, American Oxygen, a strange, I don't know if you remember that one. Yeah. (laughs) There's, of course, the iconic Bitch Better Have My Money. This is a kind of a straight up rap trap anthem. Bitch better have my money. I don't know. Do you want to make a comment on Bitch Better Have My Money? Um, it was probably the greatest video in video history. And also <laughs> the context was that she had been swindled out of her funds by her financial managers or whatever. And, right. you know, there was this idea that she was on the precipice of like bankruptcy or some shit, like mm. mad people, you know, she, she lost a lot of money basically due to yeah. mismanagement of funds. And so she's like straight up talking to these people who like jacked her funds or whatever. Mm. But yeah, it's also her really asserting herself as a rapper. <laughs> yes. It's a full, it's just a rap song. I mean, yeah. there's no pretenses about this being a pop song. It is a glacially moving, thudding trap song, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I fucking love that song. 
I love that song. (laughs) Me too. But the fascinating part about it all is like, I think four or five seconds notwithstanding, these songs are not popping off as hits in the way that her other music had just very effortlessly floated to number one on the charts. It's not clear that any of these songs are sort of like, is this the lead single to the new Rihanna's album? And in the great tradition of Rihanna albums, a lead single is a huge statement. I mean, we're talking about Pwn the Replay, SOS, Umbrella, Russian Roulette, Only Girl in the World, We Found Love, Diamonds. I mean, these are definitive songs that were smash at the gate hits. None of these songs are really connecting in that way. That feels bizarre in the context of how we know Rihanna albums to work. Yeah. Then she releases another song that at the time really did not strike me right away. It's a gossamer, extremely stripped down dance hall song called Work with Drake. Work, 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 work. You see me, I be work, 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 work. You see me do me da, 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 da. You saw me by that work, 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 work. When you walk out, la, 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 la. I'm in the cafe, my ta, 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 ta. Drive me, I desert you. No time to have you lurking. You make a walk, now you don't like it. You know I dealt with you the nicest. Nobody touched me in the right. I remember hearing it and thinking, is this a demo that got leaked? Like, it's almost had an unfinished feeling to it, in a sense. What was your first impression of work? Well, I had the opposite reaction. I remember when this came out and I was at I was at work. Um, yes, of course. <laughs> Perfect yeah, I know. And I stayed at work really late because I kept playing it over and over and over. I immediately connected to this song. And I think because it was that stripped down and because it was not as polished as like we had heard from her and it felt more like her and it felt more in line with not only the persona that she'd been giving us on social media, which was her, mm. But it felt more in line with just the direction that music, pop music had been taking, which was not all polished albums anymore. It's just like this like pre-anti-era where she was just like throwing things at the wall or whatever. Right. Felt like more artistic than maybe anything she'd ever done because it felt like she was just like, it was like a scratch pad and she could Mm. do whatever she wanted. And Mm -hmm. whether or not work was like overly produced or like a Calvin Harris type song or whatever that it wasn't felt significant I think right and I fucking yeah. loved it because I like I love dance hall and, and I love like, I, I I mean I grew t- I've grown to think it's pr- pr- one of her best singles but I just I just remember being like oh this is a real shift away from like what I expect from Rihanna singles I mean it's yeah. it's tossed off in a different way. It's not the tossed off paired with the structurally perfect pop record, produced pop record. It's genuinely so casual. She's fully in the patois. Like, like there's no pretenses about trying to make the lyrics legible to Americans, you know, like that's part of the magic of work and it's gossamer thin in its production. I mean, there's no drop. There's no crystalline production. You know, the song it most reminds me of is Drake's Mm. Controller. My AI just changed. It just buzzed the front gate. I thank God you came. How many more days could I wait? I made plans with you. And I won't let them fall through. I, 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 I think I lie for And it's similarly kind of like, as if taking you took dance hall and you stripped out all the unnecessary elements of it and just left like the bare minimum in there. 
And it really allows her to just sort of luxuriate and shine in this sort of sensual sway. Yeah. Truly magical, but it didn't strike me right away. And then Anti drops, January 2016, and I will now bring up my favorite Johnita tweet of all time. Oh my god, what? In which this is seared into my mind, and because I had the same reaction the first time I listened to Anti, and you wrote, "quote Maybe drugs are bad." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, did I? I did not remember. <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. and I'll never forget it because I was on the train I had just finished dinner with uh and I don't even remember how much notice we had that this was coming out even like I think it was None. maybe a couple of days or whatever and it sort of fell out of the sky and I remember sitting on the train listening to it and just being like this is so all over the place so many of these songs feel somewhat unfinished to me. That was my first reaction to it. And so just not what I'm used to listening to on a Rihanna album. And then just looking at my phone and seeing you go, oh, no, maybe drugs are bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. I do not remember that. That's so funny. I'll have to find it. I'll find it. For <laughs> um, but yeah, was, was that was that your first reaction to Auntie? Yeah. Well, I mean, my first reaction was like, "This is so weeded out and so weird." <laughs> I come fluttering in for Neverland, can never stop me. No, 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 no. I know you tried to. I come riding in on a pale white horse, and in no high school, let's watch enough. I do advise. So similar to how Birthday Cake is like not even really a song, it has that weird like Travis Scott woo interlude in the middle. I was like, what the fuck's going on? It didn't immediately register to me. And then after listening to it like 1,000 times or whatever, Mm -hmm. I was like, wait, this is probably her best album. (laughs) No question. No question. It's so different feeling. It's insular. It is weeded out. It it does feel sometimes like you're in the middle of somebody's weeded out thoughts. Um, For a pop star like Rihanna, who is releasing these universal anthems for her entire career, it was very jarring. And it has the genrelessness of the other albums, but in a very different way. It's not, there's no polish. Everything is so almost like a mood board, a tumbler, a collage of ideas that are some finished some not it works as like a mood piece but it has none of the structural polish of any of her previous records and also some of the things I chafed against when I initially listened to it have come to be the things that have made this album so indelible to me like the, I actually have come to love sort of some of the half-baked ideas like random interlude James Joint interlude I'd rather be smoking Every time you kiss me, don't 
half finished, yeah, I said it, Timberland song, like halfway through the beat. The random note for note Tame Impala cover. Like, yeah. what, what the hell? Literally, like, just lifted the beat and just re-sang the song. Like, yeah, so what? weird. <laughs> Feel like a brand new That was so crazy, and yet it really worked. And then, like, one of her most striking vocal performances ever on Higher, which is like a two-minute drunk dial, which I actually have to imagine she was drunk when she recorded. Yeah. This whiskey got me feeling pretty. So pardon if I'm impolite. I just really need your ass with me. I'm sorry about the other night And I know I could be more creative And come up with poetic lines But I'm turns up of season I love you Is the only thing that's in my mind You take me higher Truly one of the most wild things I've ever heard on a pop record, I think. So... What are you, what made you come around on Auntie? What clicked for you? Um, I think just like actually like spending time in the crevices of the songs because they're all yeah. full of crevices mm-hmm. and then realizing what she was doing. Like work, I loved work as a lead single because it felt like a pop song. It felt like a pop right. song of its moment. But I think what I, I immediately- Number did, one for 10 weeks, by the way, we should put that out there too. Yes. <laughs> and I think what I didn't immediately react to was like there really weren't- a lot of other songs on there that felt poppy. And then the other thing that I have to say is that I am um, a notorious and to my detriment kind of hater of ballads. I don't love Mm. ballads. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't like a lot of these songs because they felt so ballady to me and like they weren't giving me what I thought I wanted from Rihanna. And then... Right. That's a good way to put it. And then I was like, wait, no, what I want is exactly this, because this is her. She's clearly Mm -hmm. making every decision. She's interested in trying new things. She's already done all the fucking Calvin Harris songs. I just think that it works and is amazing because it defied all expectations. And then I think actually her greatest vocal performances on Love on the Brain. Like Ugh. she like talk about situating herself in the long history of great blues women. Like mm. what the fuck? Just to get close to you we burn something And I'll run for miles just to get it that she really hit an artistic peak with mm-hmm. this album. It's pure freedom. It's pure experimentalism. Mm-hmm. It's it's not giving a fuck, not as a pose, but as a genuine artistic missive. It's like a mood board 
sometimes I think of it as an album. It's like, it's unfinishedness, it's unpolishedness is the point. Yeah. And I think that was what was so jarring about it as someone who had such buttoned up hits in the past. It was just like, oh, this is something very different. This is experimental. This is playful in terms of artistry. This is insular. And yet in all of its idiosyncrasies, it still managed to be sort of like a trend-setting pop album because I think pop has come into a place where it's less formal, where it's less structured, yeah. where it's less needing to be buttoned up, where it needs to be idiosyncratic and personal in order to work. In fact, it can't be broad anymore. And I think she was so on the tip of that. Like she really understood that and was willing to take that risk. And man, Auntie is just an, I'd say of the last five years, it might be the album I return to the most of any. It's just, mm-hmm. I never... I just, I just love that album. And, and, and to me, it sets up so many incredible possibilities for whatever could come next from her because it really kind of reset the table. Like there's no, there's now no boundaries on what Rihanna can do. I feel like right. her, if her career is a story of sort of like, you think I can't do this? Well, I can. You think I can't do this genre? Well, I can do this genre. I can do that genre. I can do rock. I can do this. Da, da, da. Like this is like, I, my artistry genuinely like kind of is boundless in a weird way, in spite of the fact that she might not be the greatest songwriter and she might not be the greatest singer or any of those things whatever her muse is it it, it was freed on that album I guess is the way that I that I see it so a mini report for you (laughs) a little mini re-report she was Uh recently on it on an interview saying that her next album is going to be completely different and like nothing you've heard before and obviously people were mad because it's like well where is it like you know (laughs) Where is the damn album? But I believe her because I think she's she's gotten to the point in her career and also now she's a fucking billionaire where she can afford to take the risk. And I think with Auntie, she was like, finally, I've gotten to a place where I am going to be allowed to and to allow myself to do what the fuck I want. She had nothing to prove and she has even less to prove at this point, which must be so freeing. And You know, it's been interesting because, of course, as we know, she hasn't released new music since then. That was in 2016. As you said, she's extended, you know, the Rihanna thing, this coolness, this taste, this lifestyle, this aura, and has been able to so effectively translate that into other ventures, whether it's the makeup or the clothes, I mean, the lingerie, whatever it is. You know, it's a testament. You know, I I was sort of thinking, is she a forebearer to a lot of pop stars, modern pop stars, where it almost feels like music is incidental to or just one sort of arm of their careers like I think Cardi Mm. B is such a great example of this of like someone where it's like music is like 25% of like why we care about Cardi B and same with like Little Nas X like I think this is a mold of pop stardom that Rihanna is kind of a a godmother of where like the brand like whatever the bigger message of the brand is is what's leading and the music is just kind of one extension of that and I think that's what this last period to me has been about for Rihanna is to prove that like you know, she can do the Rihanna thing in a lot of different ways and be equally effective, whether yeah. it's music or otherwise, right? No, it's true. And it's so, you know, I think it it speaks to her being an early adopter of social media, where she's just always on the cutting edge of knowing what's cool and defining what's cool, but also knowing what's cool. And, you know, when I think back, so like, you know, I spend so much money on Rihanna products. Like, (laughs) did I wash my face with Fenty this morning? Yes. 
Does like I do I wear Fenty makeup every goddamn day? Yeah, like would I have bought Fenty clothes if I could afford them <laughs> when she Hell had yeah. the, had the fashion line with LVMH? Like, yeah, yes, of course. One of the only failures of the era, I guess. Uh, I know. Success. I think it was. I think they overestimated because her fan base is not. Right, her not core fan base clothes, is, right. is not buying luxury clothes. But like, anyway, right. but I think back to like, I bought her fucking Nikes in 2005, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, totally. somehow it was prescient. Like, somehow she was- She knew something. She was the, she knew something and she was the first one. Like, you know, without Rihanna, like, does Beyonce have Ivy Park? Probably not. no. Like, uh-uh. <laughs> or does Beyonce have a lot of things about her post self-titled album persona? Do we have do we have the Beyonce that makes flawless without Rihanna, without Rihanna? You know, mm. first making pour it up. Do we have you know what I mean? Like, I remember listening to that Beyonce self-titled album and being like, this is very much in conversation with what Rihanna is doing, like one hundred percent. And like, I do think she provided she opened a door for Beyonce to be more frankly sexual, to be more yeah. of a rapper, to do all of that kind of. stuff stuff like that that was rihanna that opened those doors yeah so just to kind of land us here for a second before we get to the pantheon so we've talked a lot about the rihanna thing how what having had this conversation what if you had to define it what would you say what is the rihanna what is the intangible magic of rihanna i mean there's a reason that je ne sais quoi translates because yeah, <laughs> like it it really is just it's a combination, like, of course, yes, she's, like, one of the most beautiful women, and yes, she's, like, effortlessly cool, but there's really just something about her that, like, she seems real in a way that, like, most other stars of her caliber don't. You know, there's that whole stupid old adage of, like, would I have a beer with this president? or whatever mm-hmm. like which is like definitely the wrong question be to be asking of presidents but would i have a beer with rihanna yeah and would Fuck i have yeah. a beer with beyonce i would be afraid to have a beer with beyonce because i would totally I think it'd be fun well i would be so with beyonce it's like i would be like very self-conscious like here we mm-hmm. are in the presence of perfection there's something unattainable about Beyonce and with Rihanna it's just like this is the best friend that you always wanted and it is it's it's a combination of her coolness and of her it's just she doesn't seem to take herself too seriously it's that realness it's that realness it's the realness I think I think if it's the coolness it's the taste and it's the realness she is uh there's this great anecdote where Charlemagne uh, from The Breakfast Club talks about how it was like peak Rihanna era, maybe 2011, 2012, and he's at some award show. They're at some award show in LA. And she's staying at the Lowe's in Santa Monica and she texts him like, you want to go to a party? And he's like, sure. And he's, she's like, come pick me up. So he comes over in the rental car and he thinks that she's going to be with her whole entourage and that they're going to go to some glitzy Hollywood party somewhere. And she gets in and she they go she directs them to the fucking hood and they go to some like basement party like in some secret place like whatever and it's just like t- no other stars there and she's just hanging out with everybody yeah. and there's no pretense no entourage no security no nothing and to me that's it like that's the thing about Rihanna like yeah. what other pop star is going to be able to pull that off yeah. only her 
and and I think that really speaks to everything that we've been speaking about so far. Yes. Do you want to attempt to rank Rihanna albums? Oh my god. Are you trying to get me canceled? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, one can only dream. Yeah, it's true. Okay. Okay, Auntie, talk that talk loud. Uh, Good Girl Gone Bad, rated R, unapologetic, girl like me, then music of the sun. Okay, I'm going Auntie, rated R, good girl gone bad, talk that talk loud, unapologetic, girl like me, music of the sun. Nice. Nice. This is (laughs) so difficult. Okay, now rate her acting. Uh, (laughs) Rate her filmography. (laughs) It's going to have to go. The bitch better have my money video, number one. Yeah. Number two is Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. (laughs) (laughs) Number a zillion is Ocean's 8. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. You think Guava Island. Well, Guava Island is kind of up there. She really elevated her craft. Oh, yeah, totally. I I definitely got through that entire movie and definitely did not turn it off after seven minutes. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Battleship, um, though. R.A.P. Battleship. Battleship. Iconic. Of course. How could I forget? She was so. I remember her. I remember her like <laughs> I remember her like getting interviewed and she was like, "Oh, to have my first acting role with Peter Weir as my director." There's like no way this can go wrong. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, so final segment here, the Pantheon. So, you already said you have beef with me based on like the Pantheon list I sent you and possibilities I may have listed in each tier just because I wanted to help illustrate the point of them, not because I necessarily think said people are in said tier. So I just want to come out and say that. That was just to sort of say, maybe, maybe these people represent this tier. You want to tell me your beef? Well, so in the examples you have in the first tier, you have people like Prince and Beyonce Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the Beatles. And then you have... All of which you agree with, I'm sure. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with like, we can definitively say... That Beyonce is like on the first tier, like she changed music forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the other people, we have like the advantage of time to True. like look back and be like, oh yeah, like the Beatles totally changed pop music or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you have at the end, you're like, maybe Taylor Swift. <laughs> and I don't, you know, I mean, I actually, I don't hate Taylor Swift's music. I like used to, but I kind of like, came around a little bit but Mm -hmm. I don't know how you can have maybe Taylor Swift but not maybe Rihanna and you first initially said to me that she was definitely a tier two cuspy tier one I don't know how you can put Taylor Swift in there as a maybe and not Rihanna as a maybe even though I think that's what you are saying because I think Taylor Swift hasn't changed culture in the same way that Rihanna has changed culture. Mm -hmm. She's definitely, Taylor Swift has definitely changed culture, but not in with the impact and that Rihanna has. And I don't just mean like that Rihanna's a billionaire because Taylor Swift is also incredibly rich. Also I'm talking about like, I think the thing about Taylor is that makes me think about it is the sustained commercial mega success is on its own plane. I mean, 
they like you can't even stack up the out al- the the amount of albums this woman sells on each project. Yeah, okay. From 2007 through to 2021 is on a very high level. Like there's not many artists that have done that before. So that's one. Two, I think and this is not to the exclusion of Rihanna, I think Taylor is a, and this is where we're going to quibble, and, and this is not Taylor Swift pop pantheon, so we're not, I don't even know how much <laughs> I'm going to get into it, but T- Taylor is a is a once-in-a-generation songwriting talent that maybe you disagree with that. That's how I see her, so in, in pop. And she's been able to sustain a level of both like her artistry and success over a long period of time. I'm not saying Rihanna has not done that. I'm just saying that was why I think that. I just think we're in, we're, we're coming up on, you know, over 15 years of Taylor Swift being like the centerpiece of popular music. Like yeah. that is a huge achievement. I'm not saying Rihanna isn't that. I'm just saying that's my argument for Taylor. Now, I think the thing where I start to struggle with the tier one thing for Rihanna is she has released one studio album in the last 10 years. Now, yeah. that's hard to process because there was so much music for so long. But while Taylor has been out here consistently reaffirming and considerably expanding her musical influence in the same period, Rihanna's musical career has been rather quiet. So I wonder, does that hurt her here a little bit? Like, maybe we need a, a new era to affirm the tier one thing. I don't know. Do you think Rihanna is tier one? I think she is like in the first sort of, yes, I do think she is. Um, And I think that, but I think she's like a baby tier one, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? But you can't be a baby tier one. This is the thing about tier one. And this is where things get kind of rough. It's like, once you're in tier one, there's no going, like once we anoint somebody, they cannot go back. So you have to be willing to say that in 20 years, we will look back and think Rihanna's tier one. And it's definitive. There's no, like, I always say this. It's like, and again, this is probably why Taylor Swift probably isn't quite in tier one yet. Mm. Is because I don't think we do have maybe enough hindsight to really say it at this point. Although I would venture to say she's probably cruising in that direction. I, I, I think you, if you want us, if you want to argue that Rihanna's going to be in tier one, you have to be comfortable thinking that that will never change. Um, I do feel that. <laughs> I'm, I'm rereading. I'm rereading your like your guidelines yeah. here. Let's go through them, huh? Continuously relevant with twelve to fifteen or likely more smash hit songs over the span of multiple decades. Check. Yes. Check. Yeah. Can be referred to anonymously, and even your grandmother knows who you're referring to. Check. I'd say that's a check. Yeah. Numerous distinct musical eras that either significantly shifted or defied check. At least one successful major reinvention or sonic or musical visual overhaul. Check. She definitely has that. Yeah. That are as culturally important as the previous ones. Yes, definitely. I'd say she has a couple of those maybe. Yeah, Um, for sure. I think rated R. Definitely anti for sure. Anti for sure. Um, widely noted and long lasting impact on the shape of the genre musically or otherwise. Yes. Shape of multiple genres. Yes. Yes. And change the course of pop history. Change the course of pop history. Yeah. I I think so. I mean, we've talked, we've just talked so much about how she basically like ushered in the EDM pop song. Like, I think that is significant. And I think anti again was another really huge inflection point. Um, Okay. Widely considered, even by casual fans, to be a pillar of the genre. 
Okay, so this is another like minor quibble I have because what mm-hmm. is the genre? You mean pop music as a whole? Yeah, or like... I mean, you know, okay, so Jordan Sargent said to me, tier one is like, you cannot tell the story of popular music in a broad sense without mentioning this person. Yep, I think that you have to mention Rihanna when you're telling a broader pop history, yes. Like you could not avoid it. You could not avoid it because even... Even if it weren't her music, which I think it is, she changed what it means to be a pop star. She shifted, mm. like, every pop star now is following her lead. Like, mm. you know, we talked about how she used social media to, like, she became the first huge pop star to become accessible via the internet in the way True. that she did. And True. and you can't have, you know, like you said, like, Cardi B follows her footsteps mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the genrelessness too is, is extremely important, I think, in modern pop stardom. Yeah, for sure. All right. Their name means something more than the sum of their hits. That's a check, which is truly astonishing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's no, the sum of their hits is monumental. So I, I, you know, again, nothing they could do musically or extra musically could change their position in the Pantheon. So like if Rihanna never had a hit song again, like, let's say she releases new music and it's a total dud. It's not possible. I can't see that happening, but. No. And here's my thing with that, too, is like, even if she puts out like 10 really shitty albums, which doesn't seem possible, but like. Yeah. So I'm really going to get myself self canceled. But like Madonna's in here. So. Yeah. Yeah. Exa- well, that's a perfect example, I think, of why how tier one functions, which is that like Madonna's legacy is such that there's nothing she could do. And yeah. frankly, in a more like grotesque way, there's nothing extra musical, i.e. a Michael Jackson who has now, you know, is now we now know to be an absolutely horrific human being. But like yet there's no way that he could be removed from this. Tier. Right. Like, right. Exactly. Um, like Rihanna could like become a serial killer and like, you know, we'd still have to. Um, yeah. Right, I mean, multi. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I mean, be look at, if she like, became a serial killer. the Beach Boys, what's his name, hung out with yeah. Charles Manson. Mm-hmm. So That's Beach true. Boys are definitely in her. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Produce multimedia moments that defined an era and are still widely referenced to this day. Yes. Yes. Their legacy and impact is widely recognizable in artists who came after them. I think we've talked about that. Yeah. Um, they're often referenced as inspirations by both peers and newer artists. Yes. Yeah must be far enough removed from their initial peak to make a long-term assessment of their legacy. That's one, that's one question mark. Right. I mean, I don't think that is a question mark question if mark. we're going to put Taylor Swift on here. <laughs> Taylor Swift is, <laughs> let's say Taylor Swift is not in here. Let's say Taylor Swift is not in there. Okay. Well, if we're going to put Beyonce in here, which I think we are, then I think Beyonce were way farther. Beyonce emerged in 1990. Right. You're right. Um, we're, we're, we're in decade three of Beyonce. We're in decade 1.5 of Rihanna. Okay. But like, if we're going to say that her initial peak is prone to replay, or even if we're going to say it's SOS. No, initial, or... initial, peak is initial peak is umbrella. Umbrella. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Because like, look at how many careers that she made. That's true. You know, like, and, the, and, and Umbrella was 2007, so that was 14 years ago. 
Yeah, and like even like the dream, like I think Shorty Shorty is the show was out at that time, or Shorty is the ten mm-hmm. to yeah, reference same, the same year. Uh-huh. Yeah, so but like so that was like a minor hit, even though it was amazing. But like she put him on the map. Yeah, right, and like you know, then Single Ladies was next yeah. the next year, I think. Okay, can tour arenas and stadiums even if they're significantly past their peak? I'd say. Brianna could launch a stadium tour if she wanted to. Yeah, for sure. Numerous hits, at least five that are automatically recognizable to any person. I mean, do we even have to Yes, say it? no, we don't even have to Would say be it. considered too big for a Vegas residency, yes. Yeah. Um, perhaps you have a sound that is associated largely with you. The voice, the voice, the sound of the, the voice. voice. I mean, I, yeah, but I don't know. That's the thing. She's amorphous in that way, but I don't necessarily see that as a set in stone requirement for this because that's like a could could be because i don't know thinking about it like does beyonce have a sound that is associated with her but her voice her voice and and maybe maybe that kind of like horn laden sort of like throwback to like hip combining hip-hop with like 70s soul influences perhaps yeah i think that but i i think you could also say that like so the sounds that rihanna has associated with her are the pop edm sound and like the sort Mm -hmm. of modern day diva and then Mm -hmm. also pop dance hall in a way that like and i'd say pop hip-hop because pop trap yeah Yeah, pop trap yeah like we don't get drunk in love without rihanna we don't get um like housey without me without rihanna right oh boy this is scary are we actually gonna do this are I mean, I whole handhold me through that. I am willing to put my name on the line for this. Yes. Okay. I mean, let's just say this too. Let's just say this too. There is no greater pop discography. Like, if you were going to point somebody and say, "Here's the discography that defines this era," you're not sending them to anybody else's discography. You're sending them to Rihanna's discography. Yeah. It is the crown jewel of modern pop singles discography, at least singles discography. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, I think some would argue like Beyonce, but also I think I, I don't that... think Beyonce's singles discography stacks up to Rihanna's singles discography. No. I, think Re- I think Beyonce has made more fully realized album projects than, than Rihanna has. I think Beyonce has, the, especially the last two, you know, they were monumental in terms of just being fully realized ideas that were like so multifaceted, so thought through, so well delivered on every level. I don't think Rihanna's ever really done that fully. Like it's, it's, she's, you know, and maybe she will, maybe she won't, but um, maybe that's not something she needs to do. But I think in terms of pure singles, I mean, Beyonce's got some duds in that singles discography. I mean, like best thing I never had. Don't need that. Don't need if I were a boy. Don't need. You know what I mean? Like there's there's some duds in there. There's some obviously great, tons of great ones. But I I just think is there a bad Rihanna single? I mean, not really. I don't think such no. a thing exists. And no. most of them are like great to fantastic. So yeah. And and we're talking about thirty hits. I mean, 30, 40 hits. I mean. The, 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 it's it's a, it's unrivaled in the modern era. I no, I agree with you. I kind of wonder if you should divide these by like age or time. Like because I'm looking at like the the megastar tier and like yeah, I think Lady Gaga could be in the first tier 
potentially. No, she's cuspy to me. To me, I'm much really? more comfortable with her being cuspy. Yes, because Lady Gaga has, like, she needs to unlock a second full air. Like, to me, I've always felt like she had that first, like, her fame sort of out, like, is 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 not totally in, in contrast to, like, her musical success. Like, yeah. frankly, Lady Gaga has not really had, like, a smash musical success since, like, 2011. Like, really. That's if true. If you think about it. That's true. Art pop, like, cult classic flop. Joanne, flop. Chromatica, cult classic. Like, sure, she's been able to have, like, a second era of her career thanks to, you know, the movie. And she's a great star and a great pop star, and I, I adore her. But... I, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I, in terms of just music, I'm just like, I think there's a little bit of a sleight of hand that goes on with Lady Gaga yeah. in terms of just like, what's the actual musical legacy of Lady Gaga? You know what I mean? Like, it's that first era p- kind of period. Not that I don't like the other stuff. I'm just, that's just how it's perceived. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's true. And I, I don't think like Chromatica, why I like it a lot, is markedly that different. From. No, and it wasn't that successful. I mean, it was a yeah. middling success, you know, and she hasn't had a very successful solo project since Born This Way, like, which in and of itself was a divisive project. Like, yeah. Rihanna is universally approved, and, like, yeah. the track record is flawless, you know, kind of flawless. All right, I realize this might be a bit of a cop-out, but, like, I can see the tier one thing. I can see the cuspy thing. Yeah. I think what I, we should do is like in the discord that's happening to that's going to happen on the night the episode drops. I think we need to like have a bigger discussion and bring the bring the listeners into this conversation. Let's do and it. Like have, have it. them have the final word. Maybe I'll put on social media too. Is Rihanna yeah. tier two, tier one? Whoa, this is the first time I've ever really felt like stumped, honestly. But like we have certainly done, I think, justice to like laying out the state of her case. Wouldn't you say over the last whatever amount of time? Um, I do it for the Navy. <laughs> yes, we got, listen, we did it all for the Navy. We recorded for three fucking plus hours for the Navy. I know, I know, I know, I really um, have to pee. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm, I'm gonna give you the last question that I give everybody. Okay. What is an underrated Rihanna song, maybe one we haven't spoken about, that we can send everybody off on right now? I actually am gonna bring up a song that we did talk about. I actually think Fresh Off the Runway is underrated. And mm. I know it's kind of a Stan favorite, but I think it sort of <laughs> was prescient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you love that word. And I just, yes. And I also just think it's like a really sick flex. <laughs> yeah, it is. Love Fresh Off the Runway. All right. So let's go out on fucking Fresh Off the Runway. Like, what an amazing song. Yes. What so an amazing pop star. Julianne. What an amazing guest. Like, I can't thank, <laughs> thank you, you enough for sitting here and doing this. Are you fucking tired? I mean, I you, just deserve a, you, deserve, you deserve a cigarette or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, thank you. You were, you were amazing. I hope you'll come back and do this again sometime. I will. Thank you so much for having me and also inviting me for my favorite, clearly my favorite topic. <laughs> Honestly, Navy for life. Like, I'm, I, will, I will go down with that shit. All right, so there you have it. Three plus hours of Rihanna Talk That Talk. And we need you. So we the judgment is not rendered. 
we will all be meeting in the Discord chat tonight to make a final rendering on whether Rihanna is in Tier 1 or Tier 2. Please come join that. It is tonight... Thursday, December 16th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. The link is in the show notes here. It'll be on all my social media. It'll be easy to find. Please come. We got to figure this out, and I need your guys' help and support with that. This is a super important thing, like cliffhanger that we can't leave as a loose end. I want to say thank you so, so much to Julianne Escobedo Shepard. I mean, can you believe the length of time this woman devoted to this? I mean, that is dedication. I am so grateful to her. I am so grateful to you guys for listening to Pop Pantheon for the last 10 months. Thank you so much. Thank you for making this possible. It would be nothing without your guys' involvement. And, you know, follow us on social media, Pop Pantheon Pod, DJ L-O-U-I-E-X-I-V. Subscribe, rate, review. And otherwise, guys, I will see you in the new year. Bye-bye. Have a great life. Fresh up, fresh up.